Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Well, hello there. This is D, and welcome to episode 15 of the Benzo Free Podcast. You know, it's not uncommon that I have to re-record a small section of the podcast, you know, just to fix a glitch. Either I misspoke or there was background noise or something technical went wrong. And sometimes, although very rarely, I have to re-record the entire podcast episode. Today, unfortunately, is one of those days. <laughs> there, there was background buzz on the first take throughout the entire recording. It's, it's my own fault. I was trying something new on my mixer. Now I realized that was not the way to go. So I'm back to the the old method and hopefully this records just fine. Anyway, welcome to Senior Week at Benzo Free. All week we will focus our attention on the effects of benzos on the older generation. In fact, on Monday as part of Senior Week, I wrote a blog post titled The Lost Years: A Father, a Son, Benzos and Aging. I've been receiving some really good feedback from it, and I want to thank everyone who has reached out. Thank you so much for that. I will follow it up with some more posts on seniors later this week. Now that I finally posted it, I can tell you a bit about it behind the scenes. I, I actually started writing this post about a week ago, and I've worked on it off and on since then. I know, it's, it's not like it reads like it's a week's worth of work. Seriously, it really doesn't. I'm not saying that to be humble. It's just not a very complex article. The research wasn't that detailed, and I should have written it in half a day or less, but I didn't. But the real reason it took so long to write this blog post was that it was about loss. You know, the time we have lost due to these damn drugs, our years will never get back. For many, there are relationships we'll never be able to mend. For me, the years I was emotionally numb on benzos or dealing with that nightmare of withdrawal, total 17 years. 17 years of my life have been influenced in one way or another by benzodiazepines. And those are years I don't get back. Okay, now I'm going to stop myself right there. The, you know, this road down the self-pity highway has, well, several on-ramps and very few exits. <laughs> but I think I see a exit coming up soon, and I think I'm going to take it. Still, I'm human, and I sometimes get caught drawn, you know, into that on-ramp, just like everyone else. When I wrote that blog post, that was one of those times. Hopefully it wasn't too depressing. It's so easy for us to get trapped on that highway when we're in benzo withdrawal or in any withdrawal from any drug or in any situation for that matter. It doesn't really matter the cause. Sometimes life deals us crappy cards. 
and we just have to play them. And that's the experience so many of us have with benzos and other psych drugs. Life can suck. We all know that. But once we're in the thick of it, we have to decide how we're going to handle it. One of our listeners wrote me this morning and said, Forget about the lost years. They are done and in the past and not relevant now. You know, that's, that's good advice. While it's not healthy to block the feelings of loss, it's also not healthy to dwell on them. They are in the past. And the best thing I can do now is take care of myself, take care of those around me, and take care of those of you listening to me right now. And thinking that way feels damn good. One day, you know, the experience of benzo withdrawal will be in the rear view mirror for all of us. And while we still remember the bad, we also need to move on and embrace the good. There is a rainbow on the other side, and it's pretty damn amazing. I wish each of you could see the rainbow I'm seeing now. I wish I could put it in an envelope and send it to you. I wish you could just see a glimmer of it so you know there is something good on the other side, but I can't. You have to find your own way out of the darkness. I can help encourage you along the way, but it's your journey, and you are the best person for the job. I am so glad you joined us today, and I hope I can make your life just a little bit easier by listening. I can honestly tell you that you have made mine better, and for that I will always be grateful. Thank you. Today's format will follow the usual track. Uh, nothing really major is going to change here. We'll have our intro, mailbag, news, spotlight, story, and feature. Our feature today is focused on benzos and the elderly as part of our Senior Week series. I hope you like it. Let's close our introduction with my repetitive request for feedback. Please tell me what you think. I need feedback. Please visit our feedback form at benzofree.org feedback. Or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And please remember that the Benzofree podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you are listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Okay, let's move on. And that brings us to our mailbag section. We have one comment and one question today. This comment is from Sarah in Memphis, Tennessee in the USA. Sarah says, Love your website and podcast. The withdrawal from antidepressants is very similar to that of benzos. So most of this content applies to people suffering from 80s. You would reach and help even more people if you noted this and included 80s in your content. Just a thought. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you, Sarah. And that is a great comment. And it, it made me think about our goal and mission here at Benzo Free, which is always a good thing to reevaluate what you're doing and where you're headed. As most of you know, the last thing I want to be is exclusionary. The truth is, I hope our content reaches out to anyone it can help. Whether it's someone dealing with benzo dependence and withdrawal, someone dealing with SSRIs or any other drug withdrawal, or equally people who are just struggling with chronic anxiety and insomnia and have never taken drugs for them at all. I'm happy to include content on antidepressants in our information, especially if it crosses over with benzodiazepines and Z drugs. I spent four years researching benzodiazepines and Z drugs for my book, Benzo Free, and I've 
now launched a podcast, website, and blog on the same topic and with the same name. Benzos are my, if you forgive the term, expertise. Not, not that I'm expert in any way. But it's what I spent the past five years studying, so I may have learned a few things about it. The truth is, I just don't have the same experience with antidepressants. Even though I've taken a few in my time, it was only for short duration and I never had withdrawal complications. So I just don't know much about that experience, I'm, I'm glad to say. I do know that it can be incredibly debilitating and I definitely sympathize with anyone going through it. I hope that our content is equally as valuable to people dealing with withdrawal from SSRIs and other drugs as it is for those who are struggling with benzos. You know, we've all taken a medication which has caused complications, sometimes severe, and we need help. That's it. You made an excellent point, Sarah, and I'm happy to try and be more inviting to anyone who finds our podcast and web content helpful. Thanks again for your comment. I really appreciate it. Our next one is a question from Carla in Chino Hills, California in the U.S. Carla says, I have really enjoyed your podcasts. This is how I have been going asleep every night. I would love for you to do a bedtime podcast, since most of us in this community struggle with sleep issues, and night can be scary. You have a soothing voice, but if you could do a bedtime podcast in correlation with your regular podcast, that would be great. I think you are doing a great job. Would not change anything. Well, first off, thanks, thanks, Carla, for the for the kind words. I, I really appreciate your question and comment. And you know, I can relate to the difficult nights. Scary is the right word. I wish it wasn't, but it is. I remember those nights well, and I still have a few of them now and then. You know, my my worst times were those sleepless nights, full of symptoms, just random ones when my brain would kick into hyperdrive and hypochondria and every negative thought in the book would kick into gear. Thank God most of those nights are behind me, but for so many of you, I realize that's not the case. And I feel for each and every one. See, you know, that's why I still love that commune idea I talked about last episode. We could have this one insomnia cabin, you know, where people could congregate when they can't sleep, whether it's one, two, three o'clock in the morning, and they could find some solace in others' company and maybe some warm milk or chamomile tea or perhaps, you know, even a storyteller, yeah, to tell us relaxing stories. You know, that would be cool. But... I digressed, <laughs> as I often do. <laughs> Today's Wandering Mind was brought to you by the letters um, ADHD, OCD, <laughs> and was sponsored by your favorite company and mine, Benzo Brain Incorporated. <laughs> okay, I just digressed on the digression. I am hopeless. Let's get back to the original question. I, I would be happy to do a bedtime podcast if it would help people sleep anything I can do to help. Let me look into it and please let me know what you think it should look like, Carla. And that goes for everyone. If this sounds like a good idea, please let me know if you have any suggestions. I have a few ideas, but I'd rather hear from you and know what you want. I love the idea, Carla. Thanks for reaching out. I'm glad you found the Ashton Manual and I hope you can find a doc to help you taper slowly. And that closes our mailbag. 
Which brings us to the Benzo News. Looks like we had a busy week last week. Here are the highlights. On Sunday, April 14th, there was an article in Digital Journal based on a CBC Canada article titled, Benzos Added to Fentanyl Causing Hard-to-Revive Overdose Problems. According to the article, a deadly mix of etazolam, fentanyl, and heroin is showing up in overdose victims. And many of these people never wake up. Etazolam is a theanodiazepine. This class of drugs are derivatives of benzodiazepines and act in a very similar fashion and they often bypass DEA regulations in the U.S. and are sold sometimes in retail stores and even online. On Monday, Specialty Medical Dialogues posted an article titled, Benzodiazepines Intake May Increase Miscarriage Risk. The article had some disturbing news for parents-to-be. On Tuesday, we wrote a blog post titled, Hello, It's Me, Loneliness and Benzo Withdrawal. This is where I just wanted to say hi, and perhaps, you know, provide a few resources to help those struggling with loneliness during this time. On Wednesday, QZ.com posted an article titled, The World's Happiest People Have a Beautifully Simple Way to Tackle Loneliness, which focuses on a Danish organization which helps bring people together. Also on Wednesday, we posted episode 14 of the Benzo Free Podcast. This was a wonderfully informative interview with Jennifer Lee, Benzo survivor, withdrawal coach, and founder of BenzoWithdrawalHelp.com. On Friday, filmmaker Holly Hardman posted an update about progress with her documentary film on benzodiazepines titled As Prescribed. Also on Friday, Thrive Global posted an article titled Seven Anti-Anxiety Strategies to Help You Stop Spiraling, which was a nice, quick read with some helpful tips to help stop anxious thoughts. And finally, on Saturday, the University of California, Berkeley, released preliminary findings from a study which identified the current level of anxiety on college campuses, which had doubled in the last 10 years. The article was titled, Anxiety Epidemic Brewing on College Campuses, Researchers Find. And that's it for our news. You can see all these posts on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash benzofree. And please, if you know of any other great articles or news that you would like us to cover, please tell us. We are always looking for news about benzos, dependence, and recovery. And that's it for the news. Let's move on to our Benzo Spotlight. Today's spotlight shines its light on the website benzo.org.uk. That one may sound familiar to some of you out there, as it should. In case you don't remember, that website is actually the home of the Ashton Manual. Hosting the Ashton Manual is more than enough to garner our attention. But there's more here. A lot more. A hell of a lot more. And it's worth taking a look, trust me. Now I will say up front that this website has not been updated for a while now. The last news post was in March of 2017, but please don't confuse recency with relevancy. In fact, when I researched my book, I would dig around its archives for days and weeks on end, finding gems everywhere I turned. Trust me, if you are writing a book on your experience with benzos, you need this website. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about it. Benzo.org.uk was founded by Ray Nimmo in 2000. His story is similar to many others, except his started in a dentist's office. After a visit to his dentist in 1984 led to complications, 
Ray was prescribed diazepam, or Valium. It wasn't until 1998 that he discovered his dependence to the drug. He suffered 18 years of effects, and eventually he was awarded a 40,000-pound settlement from legal action, which paled in comparison to his pain and struggles. The subtitle for the website is actually The Resource Site for Involuntary Benzodiazepine Tranquilizer Addiction, Withdrawal, and Recovery. As I mentioned earlier, benzo.org.uk is full of valuable and timeless information. It may look deceptive on the homepage, and since most visitors only click on the Ashton Manual, few even know it exists. But hidden in the depths of this website are thousands, yes, I said thousands, of links to valuable information all about benzos from around the world. For me, this was like an early Christmas present to someone writing a book on benzos. I kind of think of benzo.org.uk as the Benzo Community Archives. Let's just take a look at Professor Ashton's work on this site. In addition to the Ashton Manual, the website offers over 60 separate articles, speeches, and videos from Professor Ashton. And it does the same for Professor Malcolm Later, with a series of quotations from him, along with several links to articles. But that's just the beginning. This site's media archive page alone lists over 400 separate TV, radio, and news stories about benzodiazepines from 1985 to 2017. There are also pages upon pages of links to doctor and expert testimonials, medical articles, individuals' benzo stories, support organizations, research on benzos, SSRIs, and other psychiatric medications, and a list of books on benzos and related subjects. Benzo.org.uk is the historian to the benzo awareness movement, and it's a resource that should be celebrated. Please, check it out and just take a look around. Trust me, you will be surprised. Where can this site be found? Well, if you have to ask that, I don't think you are listening very closely. Please, go check them out at benzo.org.uk and see what I'm talking about. Now, on to our benzo story. Today we return to my home state. This one is provided to us by Jill in Grand Junction, Colorado. I've been to Grand Junction a couple of times and driven through it many others. For those who don't know Colorado very well, Grand Junction is on the western slope of the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains runs right down the middle of Colorado, kind of dividing, dividing the state. It's sort of like Denver's twin on the other side of the mountains, but much smaller at a population of only about 62,000. Grand Junction is home to Colorado's wine country with over 80 individual wineries and the nearby Colorado National Monument where you can drive along Rim Rock Drive, which is often listed as one of the most scenic drives in America with red rock canyons and epic blue skies. Now, unfortunately, Rimrock Drive also has sheer drop-offs, <laughs> which would probably keep me and my benzo-heightened fear of heights away, <laughs> at least for now. If you'd like to get out of your car, though, and meander along a trail with less drop-offs, you can walk, hike, or bike along the 30-mile Colorado Riverfront Trail. Grand Junction is also the entrance to the western Rocky Mountains with access to tourist meccas like Glenwood Springs and Aspen. So, if you find yourself in western Colorado, stop in and check it out. 
Jill's story isn't told in narrative fashion. Instead, it's more of a bulleted format. And that's what I love about hearing people's stories in their own words. Each person tells a story differently, and thankfully so. Let's hear from Jill. Jill opens with, Trouble sleeping. Anxiety after horrible experience building new house moving. Paxil and Xanax. Tests for thyroid negative. Hormones confirm I'm in full menopause. However, I never had any symptoms except for very rare hot flashes. Given HRT, bad reaction. Progesterone is GABA antagonist, so made me worse. Laid on the floor with stomach pain for a day. May 2018. Insomnia worsened. Thought it was from Paxil. Took more Xanax. Paxil dosage increased two times more. Had genetic testing for medication compatibility. Insomnia. Tried Belsomera, Temazepam, and Ambien. Didn't work. Adverse reaction to Ambien. Texted husband in the middle of the night and had no recollection of it. Started losing weight and became more depressed. Looping, intrusive thoughts. Went to doctor in Boulder for another opinion. Prescribed Lexapro. No change. July 2018. Started having inner dose withdrawal. Didn't know it at the time. And suicidal ideation. I have never had those thoughts before taking Xanax. Weight loss now, 25 pounds. Memory loss and chipped tooth from night grinding. Now added to list of symptoms tied to benzo use. September 2018. Tolerance developed. Anxiety, depression worsened. Went to psych hospital because I felt suicidal. Still didn't know I was in benzo tolerance. Dr. Polly drugged me. Switched to Prozac, Mirtazapine, and Clonopin. Anxiety, panic, manic behavior worsened. Irrational behavior, sound sensitivity, paranoia, feelings of tightness around head, ear fullness, eye pain, hair loss, and UTI. October 2018. Flocks with Cipro and went into acute benzo withdrawal. Fluoroquinolones are antagonists of the GABA-A receptor, meaning that they prevent the binding of GABA and can displace other molecules bound to the receptor, such as benzodiazepines. In other words, someone on benzos should never be given a fluoroquinolone antibiotic. Both the doctor and pharmacist missed this potentially life-threatening drug interaction. November 2018, follow-up with nurse practitioner. Told her I wanted to get off clonopin. Said to half my dose every week, way too fast. Got down to a quarter milligram, had to updose back to half milligram due to extreme anxiety and agitation. Then switched to five milligrams Valium. Mental torture, regret, guilt, remorse, looping thoughts, depersonalization, and derealization. January 2019. Went to California docs. Said I needed to taper off of Valium. Switched me to liquid. After one week, dropped to four milligrams Valium. Nightmares. Bugs crawling out of my skin and nails being hammered into my eyes. Agitation, extreme anxiety, suicidal ideation, sweats. February 2019. Found Ashton Manual and Benzo Buddies. Realized my taper was too fast. Currently at one milligram volume. 
We'll also have to taper from Prozac and mirtazapine. Still have looping, intrusive thoughts, extreme anxiety, fullness in ears, feeling of a tight band around head, numbness in fingers, nightmares, and stiff neck. March 2019. Did more research, used Facebook, LinkedIn, and other Benzo websites to start connecting with other people who have a similar story. Starting grassroots effort to pass legislation for informed consent in Colorado. As soon as I took Xanax as prescribed, I began to get sicker and sicker. I was labeled with depression and had suicidal ideation. Why is it I have never had a thought of suicide until I took that little orange pill? Thank you, Jill. I am, I am truly grateful that you shared your story today. And, you know, it still amazes me how long it takes us to finally learn the truth about these drugs. It was just two months ago that Jill found the Ashton Manual and other support systems. How do we get our message out faster to those who really need it? That's a question many have struggled with for years. We're, we're making progress, but we need to make more. Thanks again, Jill, and, and thanks for working on informed consent legislation here in Colorado. Best always. And remember, we still need stories, short ones, long ones, whatever you have. Just go to our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or send an email to podcast at benzofree.org. And that brings us to our feature. As I mentioned in our introduction, this is Senior Week at Benzofree. This is a subject that desperately needs attention. So we decided to dedicate an entire week to it. In our feature today, we will cover some statistics, some warnings, and discuss some of the effects of benzodiazepine and non-benzodiazepine use in the older population. In conjunction with this, on our website and blog, we will share some articles and even write a couple original posts on the topic. If you are not in this age range yourself, you probably know someone who is. And I truly believe that this education is vital to recognize a possibly dangerous situation. So I apologize in advance if I cover too many quotes and studies in today's feature, but that's the evidence, and I believe it's important to share it here. So let's dive right in. You know, I think for our opening, I'm going to have to repeat one of my favorite quotes from Dr. Alan Francis. Um, and this is from his article, Yes, Benzos Are Bad For You. He said the following, If you meet an elderly patient who seems dopey, confused, has memory loss, slurred speech, and poor balance, your first thought should be benzo side effects, not Alzheimer's disease or dementia. I actually put that quote in my book, and I repeated it many times since then. In his article, Dr. Francis paid particular attention to benzo's effect on the elderly, and for good reason. Seniors take benzos at a higher rate than any other age group and they are more susceptible to complications due to their age. It's a bad situation, and it needs to be remedied before it gets worse. Let's start out with a few statistics, and then we'll talk about the negative effects. In Yes, Benzos Are Bad For You, Dr. Francis mentioned the following statistic, which I quoted in my blog post on Monday. He said the following, Especially troubling is that benzo use is ridiculously high, nearly 1 out of 10 in the elderly the group most likely to be harmed by them. In that same blog post, 
I shared some statistics from a study published in the Journal of the American Geriatric Society in 2016. This study looked at the percentage of people who filled one or more benzodiazepine prescriptions in the course of a year. Here are the numbers by age group. You can see the trend increasing with age. From 18 to 35 years old, 2.6% filled benzos. From 36 to 50 years old, 5.4%. From 51 to 64 years old, 7.4%. And from 65 to 80 years old, 8.7%. Those are the numbers. Let's take a look at the effects of these drugs on the elderly. You know, we're going to break this down. Let's look at three different areas where benzos have specific effects on our senior population. First, we're going to look at benzo use in earlier life, which may affect old age, such as increased risk of health conditions. Second, we'll look at side effects during regular use in the elderly. And third, we'll examine complications from long-term use and withdrawal. Let's start with the first one, benzo use early in life and its effects on the older generation. Now up front, I do want to say maybe a short trigger warning here. Some of these statistics may not be encouraging. And if fear of permanent or long-term effects of benzos is a trigger for you, you might want to skip over this section. This topic brings up the obvious question, one of which many of us have obsessed about, including myself. <laughs> And that question is this, does benzo use increase the risk of developing dementia or Alzheimer's disease? Whew, that's a loaded question and one which is hard to answer, but I'm going to do my best and provide information that I think you need. I discussed this one in my book, so let me share a bit of that with you. I obsessed about the risk of dementia quite frequently during withdrawal. I am good at obsessing. It's a gift, not a... Not a gift I want to hang on to, but it's a gift. But it was easy for me to obsess about this, partly because, as you might know if you read the blog post this week, my father had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. A study in the British Medical Journal in 2014 by French and Canadian researchers titled Benzodiazepine Use and Risk of Alzheimer's Disease Case Control Study actually linked benzodiazepine use to an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. They found that the greater a person's cumulative dose of benzodiazepines, the higher his or her risk of Alzheimer's. The researchers reviewed nearly 1,800 men and women over the age of 66 who had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and compared them with a random sample of 7,200 others without Alzheimer's matching for age and sex. They reviewed their prescriptions for at least five years preceding diagnosis. Those who had taken a benzo for three months or less had the same dementia risk as those who had never taken one. But those who had taken the drug for three to six months raised their risk by 32%. And those who took it for six months or longer boosted it to 84%. The researchers also discovered that the type of drug mattered. Those who had taken a long-acting benzo, like diazepam, valium, or florazepam, dalmine, were at higher risk than those on a short-acting benzo, like triazolam, halcyon, lorazepam, ativan, alprazolam, xanax, and temazepam, restoral. 
CNS published an analysis in 2016 of various different studies with some interesting results. Concerning benzodiazepine use and the risk of dementia disorders, nine of the 11 studies evaluated concluded these drugs have a harmful effect. One found a protective effect, and one, the most recently published, observed no effect. Now, now remember, all studies can have problems and might not be indicative of a causal relationship. The researchers themselves caution interpretation of these results, stating, the positive association found in some studies could be due to a reverse causation bias, since the main indications for benzodiazepines, such as sleep orders, anxiety, can also be prodromes, an early symptom of dementia disorders. To explain this in layman's terms, people who already had early symptoms of dementia like insomnia and anxiety may have started taking a benzodiazepine because of those symptoms, and thus the disease may have started prior to the drugs, and the drugs may not have contributed to the disease. So, in the long run, it appears that long-term use may increase your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, but the studies are far from conclusive. We need a lot more research. Let's move on to the second area, side effects during use. Professor Ashton stated the following in the Ashton Manual. Older people are more sensitive than younger people to the central nervous system depressant effects of benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines can cause confusion, night wandering, amnesia, ataxia, loss of balance, hangover effects, and pseudodementia, sometimes wrongly attributed to Alzheimer's disease, in the elderly, and should be avoided wherever possible. In the state of Pennsylvania's prescribing guidelines for benzodiazepines, the following warning was issued. Extreme caution should be used prescribing benzodiazepines for the elderly due to the increased risk of adverse reactions such as confusion, ataxia, and falls. Perhaps that's enough, but, you know, I'm not going to stop there. Let me just throw one more at you, if you don't mind. The American Geriatric Society, or AGS, produces something called the Beers List. This is a report that's officially titled as AGS Beers Criteria for Potentially Inappropriate Medication Use in Older Adults. The latest of these reports was published on February 4th of this year, 2019. This report lists benzodiazepines and non-benzodiazepines as a potentially inappropriate medication. The report states, Older adults have increased sensitivity to benzodiazepines and decreased metabolism of long-acting agents. In general, all benzodiazepines increase risk of cognitive impairment, delirium, falls, fractures, and motor vehicle crashes in older adults. The Beers List report also said this about benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepine use remains common in older adults, especially in older women, despite the fact that older adults are highly vulnerable to harms associated with use of these drugs. The challenge of decreasing PIM, potentially inappropriate medication use, and improving the overall quality of medication prescribing in older adults remains. Let's, let's take a look at the motor vehicle accidents for a second. 
The increase in car accidents is a significant concern for benzo use in the elderly. And it's a delicate topic of discussion. It's always important to keep in mind the balance of safety on our roads with the loss of freedom to an elderly person when they lose a driver's license. In the general population, a study published in 2000 estimated that benzodiazepines cause 1,600 traffic accidents and 110 driving-related deaths each year in the UK alone. And that's in the general population, not just in the elderly. A 1997 study in the Journal of the American Metal Association titled Benzodiazepine Use and the Risk of Motor Vehicle Crash in the Elderly found the following. Brief or extended periods of exposure to long half-life benzodiazepines are associated with an increased risk of motor vehicle crash involvement in the elderly population. Another one of the most pronounced dangers of benzo use in the elderly is the increased risk of hip fractures from falls. You see, old people fall, and old people on benzos fall more often. A 2016 study from the University of Eastern Finland evaluated over 70,000 people between 2005 and 2011. It found that benzodiazepines and related drugs increase the risk of hip fracture in patients both with and without Alzheimer's disease. In people with Alzheimer's disease, it increased the risk by 40%. Quite often, a fall is the start of a downward spiral in the person's overall health which can lead to disability and even death. There is also evidence that people who have been on benzodiazepines long-term show a deterioration in personal care and social interactions. Unfortunately, those most in need of support isolate themselves even further while on benzos. And then, of course, there's the most obvious symptoms like dementia, confusion, amnesia, and cognitive effects. As Ashton mentioned in the quote I said earlier, sometimes patients can be wrongly diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease when all that's really happening is they're suffering from the effects of benzodiazepine use. Dementia is one of the biggest concerns for people as they age. There are so many complications that go along with it. And if benzos are causing this problem, then we need to take a much closer look at the use of these drugs in this group of people. And that brings us to our third area of focus, which is long-term use and withdrawal. I posted the following article on our Facebook page this week. It's from an article in Specialty Medical Dialogues, which references a 2018 study published in JAMA Internal Medicine. The article states that 25% of elderly patients who have been prescribed sedatives like benzodiazepines became dependent on them. That's 25% of all people who are prescribed benzos, long-term and short-term use. So, one in four of all senior patients who have taken a benzo become dependent. The article said the following, The findings point to a greater need for better education of healthcare providers and the public about the risks associated with these drugs. Benzodiazepines have a high addictive potential and substantial risk for falls, cognitive dulling, and sleep impairment. Therefore, starting elderly with benzodiazepines is a high-risk prospect. So now we know the dependence is very likely for the elderly when they take benzos. But what is withdrawal like in this age group? 
Well, finally, we might have a little bit of good news. I, I scoured articles this week trying to find more recent evidence of this, but honestly, little was to be had. If you know of a good article or study on benzo withdrawal in the elderly, please send it my way. I would love to learn more about it. You know, this following statement seems quite logical. It's this. An aging body loses its ability to restore itself over time in the way a youthful body does. Therefore, the return to normal functioning post-withdrawal can be more difficult and take more time. Fortunately, that might not be the case. See, in one study I found from 1989, it concluded that withdrawal did not appear to be more risky for the elderly group than for the younger patients. The elderly patients showed significantly less severe withdrawal symptoms on several clinical measures and a comparably favored outcome. That sounds like great news, and I'd really love to believe it. And, and there might be good reasons to believe it, but the thing is, this study was 30 years ago, and it appears that the study may have only followed the patients for about four weeks. And any of us who have gone through benzo withdrawal know that four weeks doesn't tell us anything. Regardless, the key point here is that benzo use comes with a lot of complications, and withdrawal is manageable with proper motivation and instruction. So, what can we do? A study in JAMA Internal Medicine in 2014 took a look at reduction of benzos in older adults and found some success. The report stated this in the conclusion. Supplying older adults with evidence-based information that allows them to question medication over treatment appears safe and effective. So according to this report, it appears that providing evidence-based information to the people helps them to learn the facts and realize that they may not want to be on the drugs. And providing them with solid withdrawal information, you know, like the Ashton Manual, can help them get free of their dependence on these drugs. Hmm, where have I heard of something like that before? <laughs> uh, perhaps on every single Benzo website that helps support those of us during withdrawal. <laughs> but it's nice to hear the study say that. This and all the other studies I mentioned in our feature will be listed in our show notes with links to various source articles whenever possible. And I think that brings us to the end, so I should wrap this up. Look, benzo use has severe effects in every age group, but benzo use is highest in the elderly, which is the single most at-risk group of them all. We need to help educate seniors and their doctors about the dangers of long-term benzo use and provide them with proper withdrawal documentation. And if you yourself are in this age group, or you know somebody who is a parent, a grandparent, a neighbor, a friend, a colleague, whatever, and that person is showing some of these symptoms like dementia and falls and confusion, maybe just ask them what drugs are taken and help them understand a little bit about the complications of benzodiazepines. That should do it for our feature. Thanks for listening today. And, you know, I hope I didn't bore you too much with too many quotes and studies, but I really wanted to get that information out there, and I hope it helps. Let's move on. Before we get to our closing, please bear with me for about 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal or professional services.
The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give you a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should only do this exercise if you are in a safe place. If you are driving or any place which is not safe to close your eyes and meditate, please skip this for now. Today, we will return to one of my favorites, listening meditation. The primary focus of listening meditation is to listen without judgment. Open your ears and your mind to the sounds around you. Whether they are calming and loving, or even if they're irritating and harsh, just notice them and let them pass. Don't think about them as good or bad, and don't even feel you need to identify them or name them. Just notice them. There's no mantra today, and there's no background nature sound either. Just focus on the sounds. So let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out very slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Pause for a second. Then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe normally and open your ears to the cascade of sound around you. Remember, if your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to focus on listening. No judgment at all. Your mind will wander, and that's okay. Continue to do this for one minute.
our next episode is episode 16, and it will be released next Wednesday. We will return to our series on symptoms, so I hope you'll join us for that. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.